0: Alright, this week we are gonna be covering as all of these are big deals. But we're gonna see this week Solus Christus who's done their homework. Tell me what that means. Oh y'all are good. Christ alone. We're gonna talk about Christ alone in many different aspects today. Of course we know and we will see clearly that we were we are going to Uh, Cover Christ alone as far as salvation is concerned. We're gonna look at that first, uh, but we're also gonna go into some great detail on some other things, other doctrines, and other things that we see in Scripture um, that are also uh, defined by solus Christus or Christ alone. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and you can turn to John 14. John 14, verse six, as we begin to look at Christ alone. Um, that um, we will see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is an exclusive gospel. We're going to see the ex- exclusivity of it in this one verse, John 14:6. When I say it's exclusive, this is the only gospel. This is the only, as Jesus is going to say, the way, the truth, and the life. Um, as we... Look at this. Understand, there is no other way to God. No other way. I don't care if a person is sincere. I don't care if they have good um, philosophy to back it up. There is no other way to a right relationship with your Creator other than Jesus. And Jesus is going to testify to this, John 14, 6, in a verse that we all hopefully at this point are our Christian walk. know. but if you don't, learn it very important. Um, You'll notice I I often quote uh, preachers or I quote um, church fathers or reformers. Uh, We know this. We're studying about the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. I'm not going to go back and uncover all that history for you again because we did that on the first lesson. But when we look at this as reformed theologians, we look at this as Reformed Christians because that's what we are. Um, We have to see that in that, solus Christus is a doctrine that we must embrace. In fact, it came out of the Reformation because it was Jesus and other things that allowed a person to go to heaven, that allowed a person to have um, a relationship with the Father. We're going to see scripturally, and and from our first lesson, Solus Scriptura, anybody remember what that means? Scripture alone. We're going to see that Scripture is going to tell us and teach us tonight about Solus Christus Christ alone. Charles Spurgeon said this in in his commentary as he was speaking on Romans, uh, in a message, excuse me, he was speaking on Romans chapter 10, verse 11. He said it like this. He said, it is not written, he that believeth on Jesus, nine parts out of ten, And on himself, the other tenth, no. Whosoever believeth on him, on him alone, Jesus will never be a part Savior. Understand that. He will never be. He's not going to share a fraction with anyone or anything. He will never be a part Savior. We must not rest in part upon what we hope to do in the future, nor in part upon the efficacy of any outward ceremony. No. The faith must be on him. Christ alone. We see this in John 14, 6. Jesus speaking says, I am the way. We can put that in context. Thomas asked him, Well, how do we know the way to where you're going? Jesus says plainly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, When he says accept, he's saying this, this is the only way to the Father. There, there is nothing else. Um, there's no all-inclusive ideology where, where if you're just sincere, God's going to look down and reward your sincerity. It doesn't happen like that. You come through Christ. You don't come to the Father at all. When I say that this gospel that Jesus preached and that we preach is exclusive I want you to understand that. Jesus said, the way. If if it wasn't Christ alone, you know what he would have said? I am a way to the Father, right? If there were many truths, many gospels, as many people claim, you you know what he would have said about the truth? I am a truth. If there were many ways to abundant and full life and eternal life through God the Father, he would have said, I am a life. But Jesus didn't speak in those terms. He spoke in those exclusive terms that I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus himself preached solus Christus, Christ alone, that he is the only way to the Father, Christ alone. Martin Luther wrote in his commentary on Galatians, he said this, I must listen to the gospel. It tells me not what I must do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. Not what I must do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. We can't begin to measure uh, what Christ and Christ alone has done for us. We can't. We are going tonight to go through many aspects of Christ alone. I'm going to tell you right now, we would have a hard time in an hour or in two hours or in 10 hours or in 24 hours or in a whole week or a month or a year. We would have a hard time exhausting all that Christ has done. We're going to hit some high points tonight. We're going to talk about um, Christ alone in as best detail as this not real smart guy can do as I study so that I can communicate that to y'all. So let's look at these aspects. We know that he was exclusive in how to get to the Father, the way, the truth, the life. And so we're going to use the term soul, S-O-L-E, and that's the, the same term that we have in English for alone. So the first thing that I want us to concentrate on tonight, what we're going to look at is that Jesus is the soul Substitutionary sacrifice. He is the sole sacrifice. We're going to look in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. First, you can write these down. You can follow along if you're quick enough. It says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So understand, there is one sole sacrifice that will allow you to receive salvation in Jesus Christ. And that sacrifice is not anything that you could do or anything that anyone else could do for you but Jesus Christ, our substitutionary atoning sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 5.21 It says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God of God. You hear me talk about the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ a lot. Because it is essential to everything that we as Christians believe. It is Christ's substitutionary sacrifice. The fact that He stood in your place. It is that alone that will allow you to meet the righteous requirements that God has for you to meet so that you can be in right relationship with the Father. So we see this that. In the verses that we looked at, Hebrews 9, 28, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, we see that Jesus took on himself whose sin? His? Right. He didn't have any. He took on himself our sin. So he was the sacrifice to take away the sin of the many. He's going to come again not to bear that sin again because it's already been taken care of, right? He doesn't have to come back every time you sin, does he? No, he doesn't. He came once for all who would believe. And he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to bring the salvation to those who are waiting for him. And I know what you say. Well, well, I thought that I'm already saved. You are positionally, right? Though you are saved, you're being saved. How many of you know you're being sanctified right now? We're going to talk a little bit about doctrine. I'm going to get back. And then you will be saved. And so he's going to finish what he started. That's why we can read scriptures and know what it means. Be confident in this. He who has begun this good work in you will carry it unto completion. Uh, I'm thankful and I'm amazed by the grace of God when I see him continually renewing me in the process of sanctification. It causes me to long for glorification that much more when he comes and he fulfills all of it that he alone sacrificed himself to fulfill. Isaiah chapter 53, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn over there as we talk about the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. Isaiah, over in the Old Testament, we're going to see how Christ was our sole substitute and how that was prophesied long before Christ in person came to this earth. 53, we could read it all. And it would blow us away as it does every time that I read it. Most of the time I can't read this and keep my my eyes dry. But verse 5 through 6 says this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, I want you to see that, on himself, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin, the transgression of us all. And so when we look at that, we see Christ as that substitute and the only substitutionary sacrifice for sin. You, you can't do good. You can't act good. You can't talk good. You can't get baptized 15 times. It is Christ and His sacrifice alone. So we see He's that substitutionary sacrifice, the sole sacrifice. There will not be another. There won't be a second chance for those who don't come through the way, the truth, and the life. The sole sacrifice. When it's done, it's done. He gave us His righteousness in exchange for our sin. He paid our debt. We owe His sacrifice for my Iniquity. It was according to the will of God that Christ and Christ alone be that substitutionary soul sacrifice. So we see, secondly, not only is he that soul substitutionary sacrifice, I wish you guys would get excited about that. You're you're excited about writing it down. But one day it's gonna grab you. And when I think of it and I dwell on that very long, I told you I can't really read this portion of Isaiah very often. My eyes sweat uh, a lot. You know what I mean, all you tough guys. My eyes sweat when I read those, those words that he stood in my place, and he's the only one who stood in my place to redeem me for God. That's amazing. Uh, again, we, we can go back and revisit all the things we've already talked about so far that have to do with Jesus Christ, but they all have to do with Jesus Christ. And so we're here to talk about him tonight. And I want to warn you, if you can't get excited about the sole substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you can't get excited about that, you really need to check your Christianity. Because that is an amazing doctrine that he and he alone died in my place and in your place. Sinners, wicked, bearers of transgression and iniquity, he alone is the substitution that was in our place. That means where I should have been on that cross. Those nails should have had my name on them. That cross should have had Kirk's name above it. The lashing that he took, it should have been mine. The crown of thorns that was pressed into his head should have been mine. We as men of God cannot get over that. Don't get past that. Don't get cold to that. Don't grow cold to that. Because he didn't have to do any of that. He chose to do it. And his soul sacrifice alone brings you to a holy God, and it presents you to a holy God as completely clean and righteous before him. I'm amazed by it. We see the second thing, the soul savior of man. There's no surprises when you have notes. That's, That's what's going on. Soul savior of man. Did you know this? Without him, we would have no hope, zero Jesus said it like this. Again, he's going to talk in exclusive terms. He's going to say that in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the gate. The gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So let's let's do a, a little... A thing that we do in understanding a verse by itself. Let's let's reverse that. If he is the gate, the only gate, the gate alone, and someone try, and, and through going through that gate, we're saved, and then that other someone tries to go through another entrance, is that other someone saved? Absolutely not. What's interesting about this. We see that Jesus, the good shepherd, leads us into himself, into the gate, into the sheep pen. Uh, we hear his voice, and what do we do as true believers? We follow him. So we see he is the sole savior of man. He's the only entrance into God's kingdom. It is by faith in Christ alone. We talked about this when we talked about solo fide. But it is Christ who has made this possible. His sacrifice that we looked at first makes it possible for us to enter into God's kingdom. I know we live in a time, I do enough funerals and go to enough funerals that everybody who dies somehow squeaks into God's kingdom. You ever been to that funeral where you go, Am I at the right place? The fact of the matter is this that if you don't come through Christ, the gate, the sole Savior alone for mankind, You don't come into the kingdom of God, period. You're not going to enter into God's presence. You're not going to enjoy eternal fellowship with God. You will be judged for your sin, and you will spend an eternity separated from God in hell. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Some of you know this. If you don't write it down, it's a very important verse to know. Salvation is found in no one else. No one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He is the sole Savior of mankind. There is no other way. There is no other name. There is no other religion. There is no other some kind of practice or principle that you can grab a hold of, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's, it's Islam, whatever you want to grasp at. Those things will fall short of the kingdom of God because Jesus is the sole Savior, the end, period. There is no other name under heaven given to man whereby they must be saved other than the name of Jesus. He is the sole Savior of man alone, solus Christus Christ alone. And we see thirdly, the sole righteousness from God. The sole righteousness from God. You you know we've talked a lot about imputed righteousness. We're going to talk about that a little bit again. Uh, because unless righteousness is imputed to you, anybody here righteous on your own? Huh? No, no one is. I'll, I'll help you in case you didn't answer. I'll ask you, anyone here righteous on your own? Okay, so the thing is, what is God's requirement for a relationship with Him? Righteousness, okay? It's perfection. And the problem is none of us are perfect, right? So, so we have to ask the question, well, then what do we do? Christ alone. That's what. The righteousness of Christ, the sole righteousness from God. I love that we could not come to God because we were unrighteous, but yet God brought righteousness to us. And I'm going to show you that, Romans chapter 3, and we're going to see it when we get to Romans a lot. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says, But now apart from the law, because they were trying to, by the law, somehow get it right. 613 commands that they could not get right because it wasn't according to God's plan that they got it right. They didn't understand that. It was according to God's plan that they got it all wrong so that grace would abound. As we look at this, but now a apart from the law, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of who? Righteousness of God, so we know this, we couldn't get to God in our own righteousness, but he delivered for us his righteousness in our place. A righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Look at verse 26. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and And the one who justifies the how many? The one. Solus Christus, Christ alone. The one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It is the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ that is our sole righteousness. Christ alone met every single requirement that the law had for us. Did you know this? We we say it all the time. I want you to get the, the magnitude of it. Jesus kept the law perfectly, perfectly, because he did not he did not cease to be God. Understand that. He was 100% God, 100% man. In fact, the prophet said, Emmanuel, God with us. When he came to this earth, it was confirmed. Emmanuel, God with us. He was the God-man come to this earth to bring the righteousness of God. Why? Because God requires righteousness. And he requires a righteousness, Jesus said, that exceeds that of the Pharisees. Let's talk about the Pharisees. These were upstanding men as far as the law was concerned. But had they broken any of the law? Sure they had. They just had gotten good enough to hide it like many people do in the church nowadays in their own self-righteousness. But God was not pleased with their self-righteousness, nor would it give them favor with God and a right relationship with God. It took His own righteousness, which He delivered through the sole righteousness of God that came through Jesus Christ our Lord. That righteousness has been, as we talked about in the lessons on justification by faith, that righteousness has been imputed to all of you who are in Christ. And so understand this, and I want you to get this. You have a right relationship with God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now watch this. You keep a right relationship with God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Watch this. You will never lose a right relationship with Jesus Christ because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, that's shouting ground. Because we know what the enemy likes to do, doesn't he? He likes to dissolve or decrease the righteousness of Christ. And I'm here to tell you the righteousness of Christ is the righteousness of God that has been imputed to you. His righteousness is our sole righteousness that we stand in the presence of God in. So when we stand in the presence of God, and if you're a believer here today, you've truly been born again. You stand in the presence of God right now, in your standing as righteous as Jesus Christ. The law has been fulfilled through Him, right? The law has been fulfilled perfectly through Him and has been imputed to you. You stand before God, watch this, as if you have always obeyed all 613 commandments that you find in His law. You stand before God as if you've never violated not one single one of the Ten Commandments. Huh? Solus Christus? Is is Christ alone a big deal? The biggest deal. We don't talk about this enough. We want to talk about other things. How to to overcome stress in a stress-filled world. How to handle the, the burdens of life. I'll tell you how to handle it all. Solus Christus, Christ alone. I stand before God in His righteousness. He is the sole righteousness from God. Imputed righteousness to me. Now, I know what happens. You get floored by that, don't you? I wish you would. I wish we would stopped to weep sometimes. Um, I was listening to a song today in my office and I was studying. And I was listening to a song, and in that song it was talking about the sacrifice of Christ. And uh, in depth, I don't even know that I've heard the song all the way through before, but today it grabbed me because it was talking about Christ and his righteousness being imputed to me through him and him alone. I just had to stop. You ever had to stop and have a weep break? I'm not talking about just a little trinkle. I'm talking about sobbing and hope nobody knocks on your door. You're going to have a hard time explaining what's going on because snot's slinging everywhere. There's nothing wrong with that. Man of God, listen to me. You ought to be stricken with awe when you think about what He's done for us. He and He alone has imputed the righteous requirement of obeying the law, of doing what God wants, of fulfilling God's holy standard. And I can't get over that. I pray that I never do. I pray that none of you ever do. You see, He is the soul righteousness from God. We could stop there and say, man, we've been to church today. But it just keeps getting better. Watch this. It's better and better and better. He's the sole righteousness from God. He was the sole substitutionary sacrifice. He is the sole Savior of man. He's the sole righteousness from God. He is the sole sovereign Lord of all. Uh, people, People accuse me of this sometimes. They say, you're kind of making a big deal of this Jesus. You're almost acting as if he's God. I'm not almost acting as if he's God. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is God. And so when we look at this, Jude 1 says, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. He's warning against false teaching. And he's saying they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. He's saying these people take the grace, and they abuse it, live any way that they want to live. Now, if you know a person like that, don't call them out by name. If you are that person, repent tonight. Then he goes on and he says this. And they, this is marks of a false teacher, and they deny Jesus Christ. I told you, Christ alone is our sovereign Lord. They deny Jesus Christ our only, what? Our only sovereign and Lord. Did you know this? Jesus Christ is sovereign Lord of all. He is in control of everything. He is the sole sovereign Lord of all. Jesus is sovereign Lord alone. Romans chapter 10. Flip over there. I want you to see that he is Lord. For there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he is Lord of all who we've already seen, who saves through his righteousness alone. Jesus is sovereign Lord alone. Not only is he sovereign Lord alone, he is true deity. He is God. John 20, verse 28. For you people who say, well, he," you're, you're kind of making him as big as God. Thomas said to him when he finally had his eyes opened by the Holy Spirit to who Jesus really was. Did you know Thomas had been hanging out with Jesus for at least three years? Did you know that? And it wasn't up until this point where the Holy Spirit opened the eyes of Thomas. He had seen miracles. In fact, he had carried loaves and fishes that were left over. He had seen Jesus feed the multitudes. He had seen Jesus heal blind people. He had seen Jesus heal lame people. And finally, finally, he makes this declaration, My Lord and my God. You think Thomas believed in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know what the number one indicator of a false cult is? They don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They do not believe that he is the sole sovereign Lord. The deity of Jesus Christ must must be proclaimed and it must be preached just as Jesus himself preached it and just as his followers after him preach it. Look what Titus says. While we wait, Titus 2.13 While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is God and Lord. He is God and Savior. Understand that. When we talk about Jesus, we talk about God. Please understand, I hope at this point in time you know enough to believe in a triune God. That that triune God is represented in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all equally, in essence, God. So when we say that Jesus is sovereign Lord and God, we are not in error in saying it. In fact, we are confirming that the Scriptures say the exact same thing. 2 Peter, in reference to Jesus being sovereign Lord and God, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God And our Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Our God and our what? Savior, and then he calls him by name. Understand this. Jesus was not some man who came to this earth and jockeyed God for position. Jesus came to this earth as sovereign God alone. He is the sole sovereign Lord. Please understand that. When you bow down to Him, you bow down to God, your Creator. He is sovereign Lord of all. He's deity. He's God. There's nothing you can do to erase that from Scripture. Every time you hear someone act or say that he's not, understand this. That person is in dangerous error. Dangerous error. Because let's just speak hypothetically. If Jesus is, and I believe that he is, sovereign Lord and God, if I reduce him to just a prophet, have I sinned? If I reduce him to just a good man, have I sinned? If I reduce him to just a a guy who had great principle, have I sinned? Of course I have. So we look at this and we see that He is sole sovereign Lord of all. All will bow down to His sovereignty and His Lordship. You notice Philippians tells us that. We know it. We don't really quite understand it. We don't read it enough. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and every tongue confess that He's Lord. Understand this. I'm telling you tonight Jesus is sovereign Lord over all and there is None other. He is the representation of God's sovereignty. Please understand that. People say all the time, well, I just can't understand the sovereignty of God. Spend some time reading the Gospels and watch Jesus, and I promise you, you will understand the sovereignty of God a whole lot clearer. People are having conversations, and Jesus says, oh, I hear what you're talking about. And he corrects them. Jesus tells people what they're thinking. Oh, I know you You, you say you don't have a husband, but you had five. To a woman he never knew until that day. How how does that happen unless he is the sovereign, all knowing God? So we see he is the sole sovereign Lord of all, Solus Christus. What do I want in this lesson? I want Jesus to be the big deal that he really is. I want men in the Church of the Living God to know that when they serve Jesus Christ. He is not just a big deal. He is the biggest deal. The sovereign Lord over all. The Savior and Redeemer of man. He's not only the sole sovereign Lord of all. He's the sole mediator between God and man. I told you when we talked about this in another lesson. We talked about mediation for a second. I said we're going to get back to that. He is the sole mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy. If you have your Bible. Chapter 4 verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, that would be rather confusing had not we established all the other things, huh? He's saying it like that so that you understand it from your human perspective that Jesus Christ, the God-man, is the mediator between us and God the Father. Please understand that. And so he has a role, and that role in when we talk about it and I talked about this to you guys uh, on the first lesson when we talked about the ontological trinity versus the economical trinity and we talked was it that first lesson or the second lesson but we discussed that we see that Jesus role in the economical trinity is the role of mediator and he is that mediator why can we confidently why can we confidently go before the throne of God the Father why Because every time we approach, we approach through that mediator who God set up, who is God in flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to sacrifice himself for your sin, to be the sole substitute and the sole savior, the sole righteousness that God requires, the sole sovereign Lord of all coming to this earth so that he could be the sole mediator between you and God. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us this. Hebrews 9.11, um, we're going to flip over. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to that because I want you to underline that. Highlight it, whatever you do, so that you can remember it. It says this, when Christ came as high priest, I'll give you a second, y'all still flipping? Hebrews 9.11. Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. Because God had given the Israelites the tabernacle, and every element, every piece of furniture, and everything in that was a representation of heavenly things. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once, how many times? so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, pay attention to this, he's our sole mediator. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive, those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So understand something. He is our mediator. He is the mediator of that covenant. You guys remember when God made His covenant with Abram? And He split the sacrifices in half? And who was the mediator of that covenant? It wasn't Abram. He's not qualified. God Himself walks through the middle of those sacrifices representing that mediator. That is exactly what Jesus Christ Our great high priest, who offered himself as a sacrifice once for all and serves as our mediator, that is exactly what he did. He is the sole mediator between God and man. Our confidence in approaching God rests in Solus Christus, Christ alone. That's why when we pray to the Father, what did Jesus tell us? You pray in my name. And when you pray in my name, according to my will, The Father hears you, and he does what you ask. Now, that doesn't mean this, like a lot of people think. A lot of people think, well, I'm going to give God my Christmas list or my wish list, and at the end of it, I'm going to say, in Jesus' name, and God's got to do everything that I've asked him and or told him to do. How many of you understand it doesn't work quite like that? To pray in Jesus' name is to pray in accordance with the word and the will of God. When you do that, Christ as your mediator says, so let it be. It's done. So when we pray in Jesus' name, what we are doing, it's not some catchy cliche that we just throw on the end of the prayer hoping that it works. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying in the confidence that our mediator is before the Father night and day, like Scripture says, making intercession for us. And isn't it great to know That Christ is there before the Father pleading our case day and night. The mediator. Oh, and the accuser of the brethren, Satan, says, Oh, that old Kirk, you know he's just an old scoundrel. Jesus pleads my case and say That's what he used to be. Until the blood of my sacrifice was applied, I stand in the gap for him. He is as righteous as me because he's been cleansed in my blood. He's the sole mediator between God and man, Solus Christus, the only advocate that we have. In fact, we know this. 1 John tells us. Those of you who've been here on Sunday mornings, we're back in 1 John. You don't want to miss it. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, My dear children, I write these, I write this, excuse me, to you, so that you will not sin. So I don't want you to sin. But if anybody does sin, how many of you have had to go to 1 John 2, 1 and say, thank you, Lord? I know it's God's will that I don't sin, but I slipped up. I got in the flesh. I told somebody off, and I shouldn't have told them off. I got angry with my wife, and I, and I handled her in a way that I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have responded like that to my children. I shouldn't be in that inappropriate relationship. I shouldn't even have that discussion with that person. I shouldn't. Look at those things online that I'm looking at. The good news for you is this, that grace is bigger than your sin. And Jesus Christ, it says here, John says, I I, I wish that you wouldn't sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Why is it so important that he told us he's the righteous one? Because solus Christus. Christ alone. Our only hope is not our performance. Are you listening? It's it's God's will. John said, "I, I it's God's will that you not sin." But how many of you will say this, man? I'm still I'm still flesh, and sometimes I blow it. Now we learned this week as a true born again believer, your life won't be defined by your habitual lifestyle of sin. That changed in Christ. I promise you. But you're still carnal and you're still flesh while you're in this body. And so occasionally you are going to get in the flesh. And if you get into the flesh, you know what the flesh always does? Gives birth to sin. Just ask James. He lays it all out there for us. So the thing is, when it does give birth to sin... Here's what the enemy likes to do. Well, you've blown it. There's no sense in trying to serve God now. You've blown it. There's no sense in you trying to go back to church now and acting like a holy roller. You've blown it, and God's never going to love you again. You've blown it, and you'll never be right again. And John says, stop that nonsense. There's an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, and He is our one righteousness. Solus Christus, Christ alone. I'm sorry, I'm preaching now. It's Christ alone. How many a godly man has been beat up by a mistake that he made 25 years ago and he thinks he can't serve God now? Isn't the enemy crafty in getting us to forget about soulless Christus? And my hope is not in my performance. Aren't you glad your hope's not in your performance? And I know this. If you had a dad in your life growing up who he was a performance dad, that he was only proud of you when you did good, and he was not proud of you when you did bad, we know what performance looks like. You grew up under that. You you might be a little confused about this. Praise the Lord, our Heavenly Father is totally different than that. Right? Because He's perfect in everything that He does. And He has provided a way that is outside of your own effort. He provided Himself, Solus Christus, the sovereign God of all, as our substitution, as our Savior, as our righteousness, as our sovereign, as our mediator. We have an advocate. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I don't have to. Go. What's What's great is He's sovereign. And so when I blew it, He already died for it. You know that Jesus is not up in heaven going. <gasps> he's not. Jesus is up in heaven when Kirk Hall blows it. He says to the Father, "It's covered." Covered, it's washed, it's cleansed, it's, it, it, it was taken away at my brutal death. The wrath that He deserves, I bore it. What would happen if we began to live our Christian lives in that manner? Oh, you couldn't abuse grace, could you? No, you couldn't abuse grace. Because you would know this man, if I abused grace, I would be abusing my sole mediator who stands before God night and day on my side. Jesus is on your side if you're born again. Understand, it, not as he on your side. He is your advocate before the Father. So when the enemy says, Kirk, you're wretch," I am. No doubt about it. The wretchiest of wretches. However, the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed to me through his blood sacrifice, his substitutionary atonement. And he is my advocate. And I stand before God the Father in Christ's position of righteousness. Wow, your Christian life will all of a sudden become a Christian life when you grab that. We see He's our sole mediator, solus Christus. You want to stop there? You want to finish this up? <laughs> we see next that He's the sole redeemer of sinners. The sole redeemer of sinners. How many of you here need <laughs> redemption? First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. You can flip if you're fast enough. If not, go back and read these things. I'll read them to you for the sake of time. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Can we do that for a second? Think of what you were when you were called. Don't tell anybody because I'm not. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble by birth. But God chose the foolish things. I know if he chose me, this is true. He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He goes on and he says, And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may. Here's that word again that we talked about when we talked about grace. No one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus. It is because of who? Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness we've talked about those and redemption our righteousness, our holiness and our redemption. Therefore as it is written Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's for all those people that say, you you make this Jesus out to be a really big deal. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in him because I am a scoundrel. I am the foolish things of the world. And I proved my foolishness over and over and over again. But yet he chose me out of that for his glory so that I would boast in him and him alone. Him and him alone. He is the redeemer of sinners. Colossians says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have, what? Redemption. Redemption. The forgiveness of sins. We have been redeemed through Christ alone. He has purchased sinners for God. That's what redemption means. Did you know that? That He purchased me off of the slave block of sin. We talk about this in Ephesians, that while I was dead, I was dead. He made me alive. I was on the slave block of sin. We go back in a great Old Testament example of this, Hosea. Hosea had a wife named Gomer. who was prone to promiscuity. She was a sinner. She was a harlot. She was wrapped up in sexual immorality. And God, to show his redeeming love, let Hosea live this story out. And in the end, you know what he did? He went to the slave auction. And there on the auction block was his adulterous wife named Gomer. I tell people all the time, prettiest woman in the Bible there's no way anyone would have named anyone, married anyone named Gomer unless she was pretty. But the thing is, that picture for us is God's redemption for those of us who have slaved ourselves to sin. And what did he do? Hosea purchased his wayward wife with his own money and he brought her into his house and told her what a whore she was for the rest of her life and he just you know just kept his thumb on her and told her how awful she was no that's not what happened he restored her to the position that belonged to her he made her his bride understand something when we see that beautiful picture of redemption that is what Jesus Christ our sole redeemer has done For us, he is the sole redeemer for sinners. He purchased sinners for God. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, it says this, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. Watch this. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. I am mean, you thankful for the redemption that Christ purchased us by. He is our sole redemption. Those of you who think you have to make an offering to God so that God will accept you, I got news for you. The offering has been made. The price has been paid. I, I, I hear people say all the time, salvation is free. Stop saying that. It's freely given in Christ. But it came at a great cost. In fact, it came at the lamb being slain, the righteous being slain as the redeemer of the unrighteous. He is the redeemer of sinners, the provider of God's required payment. redemption. In the Greek it means this it is a ransom in full. It's not partial payment. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ paid your full redemption? Because we would be in trouble if he said, I'm going to redeem you three quarters of the way, but you're gonna to have to meet me somewhere here. You hear people incorrectly present the gospel like that sometimes. Well, God did this much, and you're gonna kinda of have to meet him halfway. Can I tell you this? That is false teaching. I don't have to meet the one who paid the full payment halfway. I have nothing to offer. He's done it all. Solus Christus, he is our sole redeemer, the one who's paid the payment that God requires. He is the redeemer of sinners. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 8 In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, our Redeemer. Did you know this? God who has hidden his face from Israel will one day be their Redeemer. We are engrafted into their promises. Don't you forget that? So understand something when we see that Isaiah was understanding something because God was giving him that understanding that Christ is uh, fifty-four is right after fifty-three, where Isaiah Describes Christ to the T. In 54, Isaiah calls him the Redeemer. Understand, Jesus Christ has paid the ransom in full for everyone throughout all of time who will ever be saved. All of the chosen, all of the elect will be saved because of the redemptive payment of Jesus Christ. It is paid in full. Christ in Christ alone. Solus Christus. He's the sole word of God. Um, John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 one through 4, uh, tell us about Logos. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. We talked about that in the first lesson, Sola Scripture, when we talked about Logos, the Word. Very important that we see that. Very important that we see Hebrews chapter 1. I want you to pay close attention to this. Hebrews chapter 1, in reference to the sole word of God, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word after He had provided purification for sin He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So when we talk about Jesus being the sole word, we read in Revelation 19 there at the end, it even, his name is what? The word of God. And so uh, when we talk about that, understand the weight that that carries. He is the sole word of God. When the prophets spoke the word of the Lord, you know whose word they spoke? Logos, his. When the word was spoken and the earth was formed, you know who spoke it? Logos. All things were created by Him, and nothing that has been created was created unless it was created by Him and for Him. And So, number seven that I skipped. You get it now. When we talk about Christ alone, He is the sole Word of God alone. So all these people have these outside revelation, right? They don't come through Jesus Christ or through His Word. We, we take issue with that, don't we? Because He's the sole Word of God. Now. When the Spirit leads you internally, is that Christ? Is it the Spirit of Christ living in you? Yes. Will it ever contradict His written Word? Never. We'll always compliment His written Word. In fact, it will be consistent with His Word. So we understand when we have some leadership from the Holy Spirit, call it a nudging, call it a pulling, call it a drawing, whatever you want to call it, that is Logos, Christ, His Word, the divine expression inside of us, leading us. Now, Be careful because you have two elements inside of you. One is your sinful man. He's been leading you wrong a long time. So I would say this. When you feel as if the Spirit is prompting you somewhere or somehow, go to this and confirm it. If whatever you feel prompted to do, right, to start a cult where Jesus is not deity, go to this and say, nope, he is deity. He's a sole sovereign. I see it. We, We learned that tonight. I can't start this cult now. That was a dumb idea I had. You laugh, but culture started because people heard from God or they heard from an angel, okay? Understand, when we hear as believers, we hear from Logos. Logos alone is going to be confirmed in His Word. So His Spirit is never going to lead you away from His Word. You see this next, that He is the sole authority. I want to talk to you about His supremacy. He's a sole authority. How how many of you really understand that? He he is the sole authority in your life and how you live it, how you conduct your business, how you conduct your relationships, how you conduct your family, how you operate as a father. Who's the authority in your home? If you say you, you're absolutely positively wrong. You are the authority directly under Christ. Your authority comes from. Him. Who's the authority in this church? If you say me or if you say the elders, you are wrong. The authority in this church is the head of the church, Christ. He is the authority. Just as He was the way, He is the sole authority. Colossians 1, verse 15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, in how much? Everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his how much of his fullness? All his fullness dwell in. Him, Christ, is the sole and supreme authority. He is the authority over all the earth. Nothing happens on this earth. Please understand that. Unless the authority deems it okay. Everybody go like this. I have people all the time. You mean, my, my cousin died and she was young. I'm sorry about your cousin dying when she was young. Unfortunately, in a sin-filled fallen world where death is prevalent, those things happen. But I can tell you this, with all gentleness and with all love that I can tell you, it did not happen unless it came through the authority of Jesus Christ. He is supreme over all. Now, people, because they don't understand the supremacy of Christ, get upset with me about it for some reason. All I'm doing is telling you who He is. You want to get upset with me. That's okay. I would rather you be upset with me than upset with him because being upset with him probably has different consequences than you being upset with me. But as we see Scripture laid out, we see he is the authority over all the earth. He's the authority over all in the heavens. He has supremacy over what? Something? All things. He is the authority over all of his church. He's the head. People get frustrated. Why why do y'all do things the way that you do? Because that's the way Jesus and his word said to do them. That's why we do them that way. If you don't like it, I would encourage you to do this. Take it up with him, right? I love that. You should probably go see management. Well, preacher, I don't like what you said. I was reading this red part. You might want to take it up with the boss. He's supreme in everything. He is the sole authority. Let me tell you this, that's the definition of Lord, in case you didn't know that, right? Because, you know, I really want Jesus as Savior, but I don't know if I'm ready for Him to be Lord. can't be either or. If you've heard anybody teach that, that is false doctrine, okay? It's false doctrine. Well, He's my Savior, buddy. He's not my Lord, and they'll give you this testimony of, you know, he became my Savior, and then 20 years down the road, he became my Lord. No, you got saved when he became Lord, when you recognized his Lordship. Because that's what Jesus said, if any man shall come after me, let him deny himself. If you deny yourself, you are being placed under the authority and the supremacy of someone or something else. And if you're truly born again, you are placed under the supremacy and the authority of Jesus Christ by the hand of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. So he can't be Either or, however you want to accept him and whenever you want to. He's Lord. And here's the deal. As we read the Spurgeon quote before, he's not going to be nine-tenths Lord. There's going to be people who split hell wide open because they consider that lordship and supremacy. (laughs) Really? People will get mad at you. They'll say, I can't believe you said that statement. He's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Let me say it again. He's Lord of all, or He's not Lord at all. I do not apologize for saying that. That is the position that He deserves. In fact, that is the position in our lives as believers, that He died so that we could recognize He's Lord, sovereign over all, supreme in all instances, and the authority in all things belongs to Christ alone. He is the sole authority. Ninthly on our journey tonight. See, none of you believed I could get through nine points that fast. I'm only through eight. We're just on nine. He's the sole executioner of God's judgment of sinful man. This is where it gets uncomfortable. We we like Jesus the baby in the manger. Or Jesus the lamb. How many of you understand? That's not all he entails. Watch what happens here as we see him as the sole executioner of God's judgment on and of sinful man John chapter 5 for just as the father raises the dead this is verse 21 for just that 21 and 22 for just as the father raises the dead and gives life to them even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it moreover the father judges no one but has entrusted all how much all judgment to the Son, all Christ alone is going to be the executioner of God's judgment. Why is that important? How I many you remember what the Lord says? Leave room for my vengeance. Don't take matters into your own hands. Everybody understand? Anybody here ever been wronged by a sinner? And your flesh wanted to take matters into your own hands? When Jesus returns in the fuel, full fury and the wrath of God, He's going to seek vengeance on all sinners who blasphemed his name. He's going to do it in such a way, we're going to read about it in a second. He's going to do it in such a way that there is no longer any discussion about who he truly is. So we look at this and we see that he is the executioner of God's judgment according to John chapter 5, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge, who will? Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of His appearing in His kingdom, I give you this charge. Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. He's the executioner of God's judgment of sinful man. One day, you will answer to Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't want to answer to the one who died in the place of sinners. Who I never acknowledged. And He was my only hope. He was my only salvation. He was the only sacrifice. I don't want to face His judgment because He's going to be right when He judges and I'm going to be dreadfully wrong. That ought to be the thing that if you're here and you're not a redeemed person, that you are still a sinner separated from God. That ought to be the thing that wakes you up this evening. To think about one day you are going to face the judgment of the One who came to save you. Ouch. And what a dreadful day that will be for those who are not in Christ. Revelation chapter 19 says, I saw heaven standing, this is verse 11, standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. He's faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. And his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. Why are there many crowns? Because he is all authority. It's, again, a picture of his supremacy. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. And he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Newsflash, it's his blood. It's dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God, Logos. Oh, we talked about it. First lesson, didn't we? So the scripture, his name is is Logos, the divine expression of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword. Sharp sword, probably a double-edged sword that divides and that cuts. same double-edged sword that we see in Hebrews, which is the Word of God. Who even cuts to the very intentions of a man's heart? He said, "Out of his mouth was a sword, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter." I don't know about you, but I can't wait till my king comes back and rules with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written: King of Kings. In case you didn't understand this yet, and Lord of lords, There is none higher. Christ is the sole executioner of God's judgment on sinful man. He will come back to this earth and every judgment that he makes will be right. At this picture that we see here, as the heavens open up, did you know this? The armies in heaven are not going to have to lift one arm in battle. He is going to slay the wicked with the word. The divine expression, Logos, his name, so we see he will execute final judgment on sinful man by the power of his mighty word. All right? What does that mean? That means this, all people who don't line up with this suffer destruction. You say, but I don't line up with that. Yeah, you do if you're in Christ because the righteous requirements of this have been met. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about Christ. Isn't that a good thing? But those who are in their unbelief and in their sin, when Christ returns, it will be a day of reckoning, the executioner of God's judgment on sinful man. So we see lastly, the sole rewarder of his true servants. The sole rewarder of his true servants. This is good news for those of you who truly know Christ. Revelation chapter 22, y'all flip over there. you mean to tell me that Christ, my soul's sacrifice, my soul's substitution is going to die for me to be my Savior? To stand as my righteousness, my sovereign Lord over all, the mediator between me and God, the Redeemer of a wretch like me, the One who is supreme over all and the sole authority? Do you mean to tell me That he's also going to reward me somehow? What? I told you when we get done, grace is going to be amazing again in God's church. Grace is going to floor us. In fact, we're going to have trouble even saying grace and not being awe stricken by the power of God. We see here he's the rewarder of his true servants, Revelation 22. We see that the judgment for sin has already taken place. We see the great white throne judgment for all sinners be resurrected to the second death and cast into the lake of fire. We see in verse 12 of Revelation 22, right here at the end, Behold, I'm coming soon. Please, Lord. Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. He can't be talking about the unbelievers. Go back. They're already cast into the lake of fire. He's talking about the believers. I'm going to reward those who are my followers for what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into, into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. He sums it all up for us right there. He says, I am who the scriptures say that I am, and I am the rewarder of my true servants. His reward is with him. Did you know this? We haven't seen anything yet. How many would say, I've been blessed by God? How many would say that? And, and, Sir, I've been, bu-. But you haven't been rewarded by God yet. Think about that for just one second. But you haven't been rewarded yet. You've been blessed. As, as much as we can be blessed in our humanity, but watch us in our glorified state, He is going to reward us with things we know not of. There is an inheritance, Scripture says, that is kept for us, by the Spirit that will never perish, spoil, or fade. An eternal inheritance that we will be rewarded with when Christ brings that inheritance to us. Now think about that for a second. Man, it really brings things to light about Jesus when he says things like, what profits a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his soul? Can I tell you this? Everything that you lose for Christ's sake in this earth, You will be rewarded in some astounding measure that I can't even begin to explain to you, just in the simple fact that you will enjoy an inheritance that Christ Himself has prepared for His children. We see He's the rewarder. We haven't seen anything yet. Every blessing that we can count in this lifetime is going to shrink in comparison to the eternal blessings that He is going to lavish upon us who are in Christ. He will reward according to our obedience as true sons. 2 Corinthians kind of gives us some, some more insight into this. He says, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He was talking to the church here. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is what motivates us not to abuse the grace that we've been given freely in Christ. Why? Because He's going to reward us how is he going to base these rewards? Here, it's real simple. Don't complicate this. Did this thing in your life bring God glory? Or not bring God glory? We're going to learn last week, I mean next week, excuse me. We're going to learn next week about God's glory. Sola Deo Gloria. That this is all for God's glory. So, so when we look at this, understand something. You've been saved, not so that you can abuse grace, and not so that you can abuse the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You've been saved so that the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which has been imputed to you, and those good works that he sovereignly prepared in advance for you to do, will bring God glory on this earth while you're here. And it doesn't just stop here. Everything that we do for the glory of God, this is why it's important that you listen to me. We're going to talk about this a lot next week. But everything that we do for the glory of God, our rewarder, our sole rewarder, Jesus Christ, on the day of His judgment of the saints, He will reward us for bringing glory to God in this life. And I know this. Sometimes in this life as believers we have to give some things up, don't we? Jesus said this, you're going to have to hate your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, people of your own household. Jesus, our Lord, didn't even have a place to lay his head. He said, birds have nests, foxes have holes, and I don't even have a home. He gave everything up. Why? For the glory of the Father. Understand something. Do you not think that he's going to reward you with heavenly rewards for the things that you give up for the glory of the Father? Y'all still awake? That gets exciting to me. That motivates me. That is the reason that I cannot abuse such wonderful grace. To think that He saved me by His grace, but yet He will then reward me and lavish His grace upon me, not just in this lifetime, but for all eternity. When we get to God's glory alone next week, we're going to see that He saved us for His glory. That He did all these things. So that in the end, He will be glorified. What a day it will be. The moment after the beam of seat judgment of Jesus Christ. And He hands His rewards to you for bringing God glory. And you get to turn right back around and lay Him at His feet and say, I'm not worthy of anything. You all oh, will worship take place on that day. You alone are worthy. You alone are worthy. Christ alone, Christ alone, he is our sole substitutionary sacrifice. He is our sole Savior, the sole righteousness from God, the sole sovereign Lord of all, the sole mediator between God and man, the sole redeemer of sinners, the sole word of God, the sole authority and supremacy. He is the sole executioner of God's judgment of sinful man. He is the sole rewarder of his true servants, solus Christus, Christ alone. John Calvin said it like this, whoever is not satisfied with Christ alone strives after something beyond absolute perfection. Why would we not be satisfied with Christ alone? We just saw tonight, absolute perfection. In everything that he does, and everything that he says, and every work that he's ever done, absolute perfection. John Calvin says if you're looking for something other than that, you're seeking beyond perfection. You know what he's saying? You're a fool. It is Christ alone. Solus Christus. Let's pray, Lord, we love You. We thank You for loving us. We thank You for Christ alone. We thank You for that substitution, that sacrifice that allows us to have a right fellowship with You, our Heavenly Father. God, we long for the day that our Lord Jesus returns to this earth and He sets the record straight, that You were glorified beyond anything that we can even imagine. Lord, we thank You for dying for us on the cross, you didn't have to. We thank you for calling us and choosing us out of darkness and bringing us into light for your glorious name. We give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory for it. Let this sink into the hearts of the believers in this room tonight. Well, Lord, I also pray that it would convict those who are here tonight who are not truly born again, that they would this night trust in Christ and Christ alone as their Savior and their Lord. We love you and we thank you for your word, how it speaks to us, how it changes us. We love you. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen.